0: Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Come into the office. Come in. Take a seat. Take a seat. You're looking well this week. How are you feeling? Oh, I'm good,
1: Dr. Harbour Stapler.
0: A little patient file has told me it's someone's birthday this week. Huh? Huh? <sighs> so look, I, I'm happy birthday to you. I'm I'm very excited to share this moment with you. What I, Dr. Herf and will do for you as a gift for your birthday, I will reduce the cost of this session by 1% for each year of your life. Oh. So what do you know? It's like over 50% off already. (laughs) thank you good to be alive, yeah? Yeah, wow. Okay, okay, now we've got the happy stuff out of the way. What is on your mind,
1: Paul? Well, we've been doing these sessions for a while, and I just feel like we're not really getting anywhere. Like, I keep coming back, and there's there's more DC to process and discuss, and, you know, I, I don't feel like we've actually achieved anything of note.
0: Bah, 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 Paul, we have, now uh, we have, it's just, ah, uh, you might not recall that we've Clean some of this trauma. I've used special hypnosis techniques, shall we say, and I've removed them from your mind. What? what? What do you mean? Uh, I guess, layman's terms, mind wipe. What? For the really traumatic stuff. Yeah, just for the really bad stuff. Not everything, you know, just some really traumatic stuff to help you move on and, and enjoy your life.
1: you you removed memories from my head.
0: Look, you even asked me to do it one time. You obviously don't remember that, but yeah, that's that's what we've done a couple of times here and there. You know, get out the bad stuff. You know,
1: you've taken the trauma out of my mind, and I can't remember it. Yeah, and you you've mind wiped me. Yeah.
0: Huh. you must remember. You asked me to do this a couple of times when I offered, so you know, huh. it's I, I'm still helping. Huh.
1: I've got no memory of that at all. DC OCD, the DC Events Podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from 1985's Crisis on Infinite Earths and going all the way up to the present day in order, and we don't know where that will be because we haven't got there yet, but today um, it's a fun little excursion to 2004, and we're looking at a little event called Identity Crisis. (laughs) Yes, little, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this was written by uh, noted novelist Brad Meltzer, who had been dipping his toes into comics a little bit by this stage, and it had art by Rags Morales with Michael Baer inking. Uh, It was lettered by Ken Lopez, coloured by Alex Sinclair, edited by Mike Carlin, with covers by the late, great Michael Turner. So, Michael... How did you find this one, and what did you think it was about?
0: Well, wasn't this a fun read? I haven't read this in a while, but... <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, at a very high level, uh, let's just say the heroes of the DCU join forces to investigate who is targeting their families and loved ones after the death of Sue Dibney, who is the wife of the elongated man Ralph Dibney. And as the investigation continues and the body count rises, it's revealed that a group within the Justice League has conspired to use questionable methods in order to keep the true identities of the superhero community, as well as other dark secrets, well hidden. And, yeah. (laughs) It's Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a dark story.
1: It's it's an awkward one to get into because uh, it's so... It was a real page turner. Do you remember when it was coming out? And everyone was talking about it and, you know, there were 400 printings of every issue and, yeah. So this mini series had seven issues originally and there weren't that many tie-ins. It depends on how you want to look at it. But really there were, let's say, one, two, three, four, five... Six 6 tie in issues, really, or 25, okay. depending on how you want to count. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but not many titles, so only like uh, five titles tied into this. Okay. And, um, I think it was a case of uh, Brad Meltzer uh, working with his friends. <laughs> so, mm. you know, the people he was close to ha- uh, had comics tied into it, it's like The Flash and JSA by Jeff Johns, Manhunter by Mark Andreco. Uh, and Firestorm by Dan Jolly. Ah, so, oh, okay. Yes. But uh, it's really hard to step back and look at it just as a story, because um, opening with the murder of Sue Dibney is a real shocker. So, for those of you who don't know, Sue Dibney is the wi- wife of Elongated Man, much beloved, a stalwart of the funny Justice League book from the uh, 80s and 90s. And, yeah, mm-hmm. she, uh, she gets murdered. And, you know, yeah. and then on top of that, you get the revelation that she was raped by a, a, a supervillain who seems like a bit of a joke, but is actually uh, murderous. And, yeah, the Justice League, well, mostly Zatanna and a, a sort of cadre within the Justice League, decided to wipe his mind so mm. and alter his personality because he was so vicious. So,
0: ugh. Yes. That's
1: some heavy stuff, isn't it?
0: It, it is. It... it... It basically says, uh, here are your heroes doing kind of questionable things to kind of questionable people uh, for, you know, the greater good in one regard. But it's still... uh, That sort of thing I found really difficult to process and, and kind of distasteful in a way. This story to me kind of sets a darker tone for the DCU in general. It's kind of, yeah... Murdering the poor woman and then saying, "Yep, she was raped as well." Um, so it's got to be that same guy. It's uh, it's it's a very dark start to a murder mystery, which is what it basically is. Yeah, but oh, it's it's a difficult start to it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it reads really like a thriller um, more than a mm. uh, murder mystery. Like, it's not. Re- it's got elements of a procedural, but uh, mostly it's you know, racing against time to stop the next murder and, you know, investigating who it could be and, you know, sort of the dark underbelly of the uh, the superhero world. I mean, it takes all these goofy stories that happened in the 50s where uh, villains would learn the heroes' identities and yep. it's saying, well, how come they don't know them now? These stories really happened. And that's because the heroes were interfering in people's memories, mm. wiping their slates clean. Yeah. Yeah, as more and more uh, heroes come under threat and their loved ones come under threat, the hero community sort of rallies around and gets very aggressive with the villain community. And the villain community seems to get more uh, organised and also they start using a character called the Calculator. Mm-hmm. He was just a goofy Batman villain, but in this case he's become like the opposite of Oracle for the supervillain community. Yeah. So he mm. he was introduced in this uh, miniseries or sort of elevated to that role in this miniseries and yeah. you know he is brokering deals so villains can find out information when they need it and he is organising so you want someone to do a hit he can arrange someone at the right price to do that hit and coordinate that sort of thing so that, that was very interesting but uh, I mean it, I find this really it's a page turner you know it sucks you in but I always feel this would make a great Elseworld story if it didn't tie into the DC Universe. It didn't have any yeah. ramifications outside of this this story. That's where it ended. Mm. But, of course, it's set in the DC Universe and it matters, you know, for months afterwards, years even. Yeah. So what do you think were the biggest deals, you know, or the, the moments that stunned you?
0: Well, well, wow, where do you start? The big deals that stood out for me uh, were the deaths of Sue Dibney, which started the whole thing. Uh, This is where we're going to get into spoiler territory for those that haven't read it. Uh, The death of Jack Drake, Tim Drake's dad. Robin. Yes, uh, Tim Drake, Robin. Uh, And the death of Firestorm. That just seemed... Really unnecessary, and it really annoyed me. <laughs> and I'm not even that big fast Storm fan. It was just like a stupid, unnecessary death. Anyway, uh, other big deals. Uh, Dr. Light's rape of Sue Dibney, that just, yeah, that was really dark. And I don't think it was ever explained what Dr. Light was actually doing there in the first place. It was just he, somehow he knew that all of the, the Justice League weren't there, so he decided to break in for who knows what reason. And that's when he found Sue. Um, So, yeah, I guess the other, the other big deals for me were the fact that the justice league and especially Zatanna were okay with mind wiping people. Um, I, I get why they did it for Dr. Light, but then they also do it to Batman.
1: Yeah. That's a shocker of a moment, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Because Batman was with them when Dr. Light, you know, when, um, their, their first uh, holding back Doctor Light and saving Sue, but then he left momentarily, and when he teleports back into the Justice League satellite, that's when he finds Zatanna and the team mind wiping him, and he's like, well, "What the hell are you doing?" So they just all agree, "Well, we have to mind wipe Batman now as well." And I was like, "What?" I'd actually – I haven't read this in a few years, and I actually forgot that that had happened, which is a scary thought. Um, So – but yeah, for them to do that, and it it, it annoys me that there was no examination of the effects of doing this, uh, what effect it might have on Zatanna herself. Yeah. She just seemed to be like, okay, well, we voted on it on doing it, so I'll just go ahead and do it. And she she said the first time when she was mind-wiping Dr. Light, well, I've never really done this before, so, you know, I've got to concentrate and it'll take all of my energy. And then somehow she can do it to Batman as well, straight after. And it's like, oh, short point is that all annoyed me anyway. <laughs> the, and, and the fact that, yeah, I, I feel that this is the start of a darker tone for the DCU overall. The heroes are doing questionable things uh, to the bad guys. And it just leads to sort of more mistrust between the heroes uh, because in Justice League after this, Batman eventually remembers what happened to him and, you know, it sort of leads to him launching his, his brother Mark One satellite to monitor superheroes and it's like there's trust issues everywhere amongst allies and, you know, it's the sort of thing that Herf and Stirfner would have a field day with.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes a very sticky patch for everyone to get through and get over and... uh mm. I don't think they ever really did get over this. I mean, what they did was reboot the universe and make this no longer canon. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. How how handy was that? Yeah. But my favourite best moments of this, though, are the Justice League fighting Deathstroke. Oh, okay. Dr. Yeah. White has his bodyguard. That fight scene there with Deathstroke basically wiping the floor with them all. That was fantastic. Uh, and, and as you said, uh, sort of harking back to your comments about it being a a thriller and a page center the scene where uh batman and robin are trying to race to jack drake and save him from the person that's breaking into his apartment yeah that was so tense that was that was really well done um had a horrible outcome but it was it was really well done and 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 yeah i guess overall the revelation as to what the 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 league members did to light and then to batman as well that's that's a real shock to me still so, what about you, Paul? What were your best moments in it?
1: The thing I always remember loving about this comic, and I think I came back to it straight away when I read it, was the depth of the characterisation. I mean, I love Elongated Man. Uh, th- there's more Elongated Man characterisation in this comic than ever before in the history of Elongated Man, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Right. Yep. Yeah.
1: So, you, you get, what, about 15 pages of his his narration and thinking and talking about his marriage and all that sort of stuff at the beginning. But the characterization in that—it's throughout the book in every other place. Like the villains get deeper, rich characterization, and it—it it sort of brings the characters to life in a way that you don't see in other um, DC comics very often.
0: I was—I was, I was going to agree with you. I was like, it's very true. There, there's a, a really strong element of the heroes becoming a bit more human, almost, and, yeah. and we get to see it a bit more of their inner thoughts and that, because I think unless you've been reading DC for a long time, some of these characters you won't have much history with. Like i I'm not really that uh, well-versed in an elongated man or Sue Dibney's history. So to me, it was good having that because I have, there, there are parts of me that's like, why are they the focus? Why, why is everything focused on them? Are they that beloved? And if so, why, why am I not aware of it until now sort of thing? because you know, I'm a bit of a Johnny come lately with some DC stuff so but yeah it's 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 really good characterization and uh, I did like Ralph's narration and a lot of um, Oliver Queen stuff as well that was really good too
1: yeah yeah and the, I mean it expands the universe and makes it seem richer and deeper by you know having things like someone in jail who has taken on cobra as a religion. Um, or, mm. you know, the way the villains have... They know that they're being bugged by oracles and they've set up, you know, you know baffles to play force
0: <laughs> music
1: yeah. to them and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, the day in the life of people and the fact that uh, Merlin, the villain Merlin, paints miniatures. Did you see that?
0: Yes, yes! I was like, <laughs> yes, brother, do that, yes! <laughs> Even though he's a bad...
1: Yeah, it seems like that sort of thing... It's a, like an extension of what happened in Starman where you had copperhead was collecting um Bakelite radios and rich mm-hmm. rich detail that doesn't isn't normally in comics yeah yeah so i really like that really stands out to me yeah, yeah i guess let's hold off on all the other chat till we can get into our scoring because we've got to talk about the writing at some point and the eventiness so um yeah we'll have a little promo break and then we'll come back this is an imaginary podcast
2: which may never have happened
3: Short box showcase.
2: But then again, may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen.
3: And I'm Emily.
2: Who came from Ohio and talked about comics.
3: Identity Crisis.
2: Lone Wolf and Cub.
3: Hergé's Tintin.
2: Tin. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked.
3: I didn't know this was going to be the Jimmy Olsen Hate Podcast. It's always the Jimmy Olsen Hate Podcast.
2: <laughs> and the great feats of editing. Not yet performed.
0: Ultraman, this is Ultra Seven, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo,
2: and this Ultraman. Of how they spoke at length. When I read a comic, story comes first and art comes second.
3: Continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over.
2: Those are our people, Emily. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history.
3: Superman has basically the same relationship with Wonder Woman that he has with Batman.
2: Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers. And the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time.
3: Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox.
2: This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search in iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Short Box Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family.
1: And now it's the part of the show where we uh, score this bad boy and <laughs> put it together. <laughs> that sounded smooth, didn't it? <laughs> Yes,
0: bad, yes, yes, let's just say yes.
1: Yes, Um, so the way we do this is we have a score for eventiness, we have a score for writing, we have a score for the art and the covers and we have a score for the impact and legacy and they are a score out of 10 for each of those which gives us a potential score of 40 points each for Mike and I Um, but because we want to have a round number of 100 we invite someone else to be our semi-OCD and they give us a score out of 40 and then we halve it because they're just semi and... uh, therefore inferior to us in just this arrangement not um you know perpetually but in this occasion <laughs> we have professor Allen and his daughter emily coming along to uh give us their scores on identity crisis because they did a very um loving episode on on this um on the relatively geeky networks and that's worth a, a listen because uh they have some very good points to make anyway we'll get to them so but first uh, a ventiness so I'm going to give this, let's see, uh, it's sort of an event of the Silver Age that's been brought forward to the modern age. It's it's, it's quite odd. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And it has some tie-ins, and I would use the phrase, they're a bit piss-weak, um, the tie-ins, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a new firestorm running around, but there's a tie-in that says, this is how the old firestorm died. The story you've been reading about the new firestorm is actually uh, a flash-forward or something like that. And then there's, you know, uh, why is Barry Allen so hot to uh, punish his enemies? Uh, here's the story that gives you some background on that. And here's a little bit about uh, Captain Boomerang Jr. And apart from that, there was a JSA autopsy where they didn't wear the same clothes as they did in the main miniseries. So, you know, that's... So it's, Whoops. It's all, you know, it's okay, but none of it is um, essential and uh, particularly important. So for that mm-hmm. reason, I'm giving it a... 4 out of
0: 10. Oh, I am also giving it a 4 because, yeah, it's it's a fairly self-contained miniseries. It didn't tie into a lot of other stuff, so it's not a huge event. Uh, it loses points for me for being a murder mystery that starts out interesting but ends pretty poorly, and I, I feel like it could have been done just as an arc within a Justice League book. I don't think it really needed... Uh, a mini-series all of its own.
1: The logistics of the Dusters League book at that time were pretty difficult, so, yeah. Yeah, well...
0: Yeah, Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm giving it four as well.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, What about for the writing, Mike?
0: For the writing... uh, Overall, I I thought it was a good murder mystery, and it tries to humanise... Uh, the heroes and the villains of the the DCU. Uh, It raises some interesting ideas about the cost of wearing a mask and or a cape, Uh, but the main villain's motive seems kind of weak, and their actions are way over the top, and it set the DCU on a pretty dark course for some time afterwards. Uh, It left me with a lot of unresolved questions that frustrated the heck out of me, like, why was Dr. Light in the Jolay satellite to begin with? And how did Zatanna cope with, uh, you know, performing the mind wipes? And how did Gene Loring know that Jack was Tim Drake's dad? Loose ends like that drove me a bit nuts. So (sighs) I'm giving it a seven.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I think this is exemplary writing in the characterization. Like you get to really delve deep into the heroes and the villains. And it's, you know, beautiful day in the life stuff that opens it. And at the end of it, I mean, the the spoiler is the the murder mystery is it's it's Jean Loring who does it. So she and her motivation is she wants to get back together with her ex Ray Palmer, the Atom, um, uh-huh. by messing with Sue. And that goes horribly wrong because she uses steals uh, one of Ray's uh, size changing suits and ends up inside Sue's brain, and then gets the wrong size wrong and causes uh, Sue to die. Uh-huh. And then she happened to bring a flamethrower with her. Um, 'Cause she mm. just wanted to cause a bit of mischief to make everyone think that um you know they should look after their loved ones and Ray would get back together with her. Um, mm, mm. and this involves a flamethrower somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, the the yeah. frustrating thing with all that is that Ray even says in one of the early chapters that it was Jean that left him. Yeah, yeah. That they divorced. And now she's you know Yes, love can make some people do crazy things, but like, come on. Really?
1: Yeah. Really? You know? Yeah. It's flattering, <laughs> but
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. mm-hmm. and you know the fact that she's she's so sneaky and she gets away with it all up until the very end when she uh, is chatting to the uh, to Ray and she says, um, "Oh, and this fact that uh, only the you know only the heroes know." And he said, "How did you know that? You know, only the heroes know." And it's like, oh, yeah. oh the, you know that old thing, and it's a cliche. It was a cliche mm-hmm. in two thousand um, and four, and. It's a it's a cliche now. And oh. you know and then there's weird things that happen in that where she gets taken to Arkham like why would you take <laughs> your your ex-wife to Arkham Asylum which is like the worst pit in the DC universe for you, you know crazy people. So obviously there's no intent to actually help her. And, and then, I, then, you, <laughs> then you see a newspaper headline saying she's getting abused by the other inmates and then he just vanishes into the grass cuz he's sad um, mm. and disappears. So I I don't like those aspects of it. But I think if you haven't read this and you know what happens in it, it sounds like the worst thing in the world. But the <laughs> reading of it is really quite enjoyable, and it's a page turner. And the characterization is top notch. Um, you know, beautiful work with Green Arrow, and you know, villains and heroes throughout. And you know, it's it's really well written. And so I want to give it ten for the writing, but I'm taking three points off for these weird, you know, the murder mystery weirdness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm going to give it a seven. So, yeah, we're on the same page. That's weird.
0: Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. But I mean, with the art, I think it's um fantastic art. I mean, I think it's beautifully drawn. Um, you know, rendered fantastically. There's so much characterization coming through on the on on the characters' faces. Um, and the pictures are doing the telling not just all the writing so mm. you know you can see people reacting to things and it's oh the, you know the emotion with um tim when he and he, when his dad's in danger and he's racing there yeah. with batman and you know that is so well expressed through the art and you know mm-hmm. the pacing of the story is so you know brilliantly done you know uh, the evil on dr lights face all that is it's perfection it's fantastic i'm going to have to give the art a 10
0: Okay, I, I I'm giving the art an eight. Um, I I think the covers by Michael Turner are fantastic, and yeah, overall the interior art is is really good. It's it's, it's great in some instances. Um, I I did particularly like um, the funeral scenes where you've got the entire church there filled to pay their respects to Sue. Uh, a couple of panels did make me raise an eyebrow, uh, including the rape scene, which. As we've mentioned in previous discussions, Paul, um, it's done as, as as delicately as can be, considering the the, the context and the, the content. Um, but still, I found it a bit difficult to um, to go through those panels. And there was a panel uh, with Superman in Chapter Four who's turning to, to talk to Green Arrow and Mister Miracle. That just looks painful for poor old Supes. Um, like his neck is coming out of his body or something uh so yeah but overall it's it's really good stuff but it didn't wow me as much as i think it did you so but i I think eight still a good score
1: yeah yeah that is a good score uh yeah i mean just uh, as a little aside i don't think if this story was written today i don't think the rape would make it in i think the whole thing would be rewritten today in the current climate
0: Mm, oh for sure Yeah. yeah yeah yeah
1: it was a different time back then
0: it was. It was way uh-huh. back, what, 14 years ago now? Something uh, like that?
1: 15, yeah.
0: Yeah, fourteen fifteen yeah. 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 Anyway, uh. the impact
1: of this one, um, well, you mentioned it before, the tone of this, it just infuses the DC Universe for the next uh, four or five years. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, impact and legacy I think uh, mine's sort of more on the impact and and I'm giving it six because I don't think it was a particularly positive impact uh, I, I think I think to this day this is a very divisive story um, there's there's more people either loving it or hating it and there's very little in between um, so and there is part of me that wonders if this story was really needed to get the DCU uh, to where it needed to be for Infinite Crisis and, you know, for things like the Ermac Project and the storyline in JLA where Batman remembered what the other leaguers had done to him. So I kind of think, uh, is uh, so I'm, I think I'm being generous with Six, but that's just me because, yes, there is stuff that comes out of this, but I I question whether we needed this story to get there. So, Mm.
1: yeah. I guess, for me, I'm going to lean on the uh, the impact side of it and how strong was the impact, and I think it's an eight because uh, you know, it put a lot of things in motion and it uh, mm-hmm. set up a lot of dominoes that could be knocked down in other comics later, like uh, the Deathstroke-Green Arrow rivalry is really cashed in on later in the Green Arrow's book. Um, mm-hmm. Even things like seeing uh, phobia with Dr. Moon, that comes into play in the Manhunter book. Uh, you get... Uh, the mystery of Boomerang uh, Boomerang Jr.'s, you know, parentage, like who is his mother, why does he have super speed? That gets played out in The Flash and uh, he goes on to join the Outsiders at some point. Um, and there's, you know, fuel for it in Firestorm, you know, Merlin, stuff like that. It, it all sort of plays out. But... Yeah, it's it's the tone that is the thing that uh, carries forward into the DC Universe. I mean, they, they want to go into uh infinite crisis with the trinity of uh, Batman, Wonder Woman and Superman divided and at, at odds. And this mm. was a good way to do that. And then you have the whole thing of uh, Wonder Woman killing Maxwell Lord in uh, the next event that we're going to talk about after the Batman one. And, you know... And there's so much chaos going on, and they're basically saying, yeah, it's not happy fa- families in the DC Universe. And no. the Ray disappears for a long time. Like, he's uh, gone until the lead up to uh, Final Crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, Jean Loring, she she's going to become Eclipso. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Oh not consent to be just a, you know, a, my crazy <sighs> ex. She's going to yeah. be possessed by evil as well.
0: Oh good.
1: Yes. I mean oh, and her character really gets sold up the river and all this, doesn't he? But mm-hmm. I mean the calculator, he becomes a major player in the Birds of Prey. So there's lots of things that were seeded here that really um paid off for a long time uh in other books and you know, it's it really did a lot of world building. So I mean as an event, this is a uh, it it launched a lot of new ideas. It didn't launch any books, but it certainly launched a lot of concepts. Um, mm. That carried forward, and you know the whole fact that the the villains are now getting, you know, organised and militant, and they're not uh, you're not going to play nice anymore. That is a major thing coming into Infinite Crisis. So, yeah, yeah. So this is probably a vanity project that uh, has launcher aspects.
0: Yeah, know. yeah. It it uh, it it did give some new ideas and reinvigorated some stuff. But yeah, I think it's. I, I agree with you. It's it's more of a vanity project than anything
1: really. It's not a fixer. It's to, it's more a breaker.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> it's the anti-fixer. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's it's just a chance for Brad Meltzer to um have his way. And, um, oh, God, that's a poor choice of words with this storyline. Oh. I do apologise. <laughs> oh, golly.
1: You've got more to apologise at the end, mate, when we play yeah. that song you picked. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, should we go hear what uh, Professor Allen and Emily had to say?
0: Please cue the tape right now, yes. <laughs> play. Okay. Hi, I'm Professor
3: Allen, and I'm Em, and welcome to DC OCD Identity Crisis.
2: You know, when we saw Paul Hicks last year at HeroesCon,
3: oh, did Paul go to HeroesCon? I've never heard him mention it. Yeah,
2: he'd never. He's very, very on the down low about that. But <laughs> when we were talking to him, we claimed Identity Crisis at that time. Now he probably thought we could have him detained permanently in the country, if not so. Whatever means necessary.
3: It all worked out in the end because here we are talking about one of our favorite events that is eh, rather maligned.
2: And that is why we wanted to do this controversial storyline because we are huge fans of it.
3: And we spent many, 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 many hours talking about it on Shortbox Showcase episode 25. And so here we will bring sort of a summary of those thoughts. So let's
2: start with eventiness. The story involves all of the Justice Leaguers, so that by definition makes it big and important, but it's not crossing over into every title and putting galaxies at risk.
3: I think it's definitely a smaller event, Mm -hmm. obviously. At the end of the day, it's a love triangle. That is the entirety of the seven-issue mini. Like, It's not a big crisis with a capital C. But... As far as importance and Mm. meaning, I think it's a very meaningful story, specifically for the characters involved. It's big changes, and in at least one issue, every single living (laughs) past and present member of the Justice League is in one room.
2: It's probably not the first time we're going to mention the funeral scene, right? (sighs) Is that what you're...
3: That is, in fact, what I'm referring to. (laughs) And just the fact that there's something like 150... I think the challengers of the unknown or something are like in the very, very, very back row or like the trench coat brigade. or The sea
2: devils. I mean, every obscure group you could think of.
3: Every single person (laughs) showed up at that funeral because it was that important. So it's small, but meaningful. I would probably give this like a seven. But as you pointed out, Mm. it doesn't have some of the typical trappings of a big event.
2: The stakes are huge. For the few people involved.
3: Exactly. It's
2: huge for the hero community. It's not huge for the global, universal, mega-temporal community.
3: Yeah, the the security and safety of the planar verse.
2: So I was thinking five right in the middle, but I'll go six? I'd say six. Then we get, let's be honest, to the easiest one. We record this having no idea what the main OCDs are going to say. But if covers and art
3: is not a 10, like, then we
2: are through professionally.
3: This is one of the most beautifully illustrated miniseries, basically, of all time. Even if you aren't stylistically a particularly big fan of rags morales or if you don't really like what he did with with the sort of celebrity likenesses Mm, the casting yeah and the the, the face casting for for some members of the character you cannot argue that his art is impeccable just sheer quality of illustration but also the ability to express emotion and character beats Mm -hmm. through the art that mini-series for all that it is very serious and deals with some really really rough topics has the funniest joke that dc literally ever made when ma kent looks clark dead in the eyes and says i'll bet batman never does this to his parents and the face that clark makes (laughs) and that rags was able to perfectly encapsulate that extreme discomfort in that moment of just being so utterly awkwardly horrified Uh, by what his mother has said
2: mom you don't know what you just said but all of that internal monologue is captured on poor clark's face in a
3: single panel with just a face and it's beautiful and it's brilliant and he's also a really nice guy
2: i was able to talk to rags morales for a little while when we were at the heroes con last year you know paul hicks was at heroes con too
3: oh yeah yeah i keep forgetting about that a
2: lot of people don't know that I would put Identity Crisis 4, the Wonder Woman with the holding up the lasso, the Truth cover, and 7 with the hanging costumes. Yes. To me, those two are, are legitimate classics.
3: Absolutely iconic.
2: And I'm sure it's been mentioned already, but Ralph not being able to hold himself together.
3: When he starts losing his composure and has to physically hold his own face off... While attempting to give the eulogy, it is, again, heartbreaking and beautiful. That's a 10. It's a 10. If the scale went above 10, so would our (laughs) points.
2: Now, story. This is where the controversies lay, obviously. But still, it's going to be a pretty high score for us. To me, the basic premise that being a hero is dangerous for those around you, it's something we've been told for a long time, and here Brad Meltzer actually asks that question. What would happen if a bad guy learns the secret identities of the heroes? That's what this story is about. That sense of continuity, of taking ideas and plots and character bits from the past, which at this point would have been, what, 60 plus years old for DC Comics, and weaving a lot of that in. Including the fact that Gene Loring has always been the worst girlfriend or wife any hero ever had.
3: And it is canon. Even though we have our own personal quibbles, I really hate the fact that Deathstroke is able to take a Green Lantern ring.
2: I like the whole rest of that scene though. I like him being able to take everybody down again. We're told he's the most dangerous villain of all time and he literally had a plan for every contingency. So that aspect of it but yes, that point is unbelievable.
3: That, that one aspect. And if it had, it's one of those things of if it had just ended with them in sort of a stalemate, I would have totally mm. bought it. And Jack Drake's death yeah. is, is really unnecessary. A, a moving scene, thematically relevant, but it took one of the things that really made Tim stand out as a Robin and changed it in order to homogenize him make him more like the rest of the Bat family, and I didn't really appreciate that. So those Mm, are my, mm -hmm. really my only two quibbles with the entirety of the story. Like, all of the writing.
2: Is there an elephant in the room?
3: But before we talk about Sue, I want to put our number out there. I mean, it's a nine. It's a nine. Uh, It's not incomparable, but it is excellent. Now, to talk about that elephant, I think that a lot of people dismiss Identity crisis because of the things that happen in it to Sue. I also think that a lot of people conflate the rape and the murder. A lot of times people will say Sue Dibney is raped and murdered because Brad Meltzer couldn't think of a better way to hurt her. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that that's fair to the writing or to Brad Meltzer's intentions as an author. The two acts are, first of all, separated by decades. Right. It feels dismissive of the caliber of writing to say that this story is bad because something I don't like happened in it. People are absolutely free to read or not read whatever they want. And if if that is triggering and difficult and unpleasant and and bad for you personally, you don't have to read it. You know, take care of yourself first. But... I do think that it is a very good story that has really dark, terrible things that happen in it. And if that's not your bag, then it's not your bag. But I think it's just not fair to extrapolate out from those two events and say that as a result of these things that I don't like happening in continuity, the story is bad. Mm
2: -hmm. And this is one of the terrible things. That Sue was the right person. Exactly. I mean, once you make the call, something terrible is going to happen. We're going to kill somebody.
1: It which, has to be so. Which,
2: still. by the way, happens all the time in Meltzer's thriller novels and every other thriller and spy and action novel. It just never happens in comics for some reason.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But because they had been sidelined pretty much, but people had warm feelings about them, sadly, that's what made her the perfect choice.
3: I will go out on a limb that we don't Mm. fully have time to explain or or discuss right now but the concept of fridging Mm -hmm. is thrown at this story a lot and if a character is fridged it's Jack Drake. Jack Drake is killed purely for man pain or son pain Mm -hmm. in that particular case that his anything that he could have brought to the table their whole entire relationship was ended in order to make Tim sad. That is lazy writing. That's why I don't mm-hmm. like it. Sue's murder is not fridging because, if anything, the terrible things that happened to Sue Dibney in this story only make her more important to the DC universe. Mm-hmm. As you said, their characters were sidelined. And if Identity Crisis hadn't happened, I wouldn't have then gotten the DC Convergence story Mm. With the Dibneys, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even have known I wanted that story. Because Identity Crisis is the story that made me love Sue Dibney.
2: I think that's fair. And if you're going to talk about legacy, elevating Sue to sainthood, that is one of the positive aspects of the legacy. But obviously legacy is hard to measure. Do you deduct points for bad legacy? Or if it's bad, important legacy, does that count as... Legacy, how exactly uh, you do that. And, of course, legacy for any book here in the mid-2000s is tough because you're here, what, about seven years away from the big, line-wide New 52 reboot. And there have been reboots since then, too. So how much legacy uh, can something have? No titles spun out of it. No new characters were created that carried forward. It's not the case that the darkness started here. Alan Moore and Frank Miller would have many things to say about that charge. It might be the culmination. It might be the peak. And it's always one of those things, whether it's Watchmen or Identity Crisis or The Dark Knight. Writers and the companies do tend to learn the wrong lesson sometimes. Mm-hmm. To me, this is a great story, not because it's dark. It's a great story because it has substance to it.
3: Yeah, because it's very well written and extremely, incredibly well drawn by two very competent artists who told a tough story well.
2: When you strip all that away and just have dark, then you, get the, then you do get the last 10 or 12 years.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that this story is unfairly maligned because, as you said, this is sort of the point where the, the dark, gritty DCU sort of crystallized. Mm-hmm. but it had been building to this place yes. for years. Yes. The way that Dr. Light was portrayed in the story itself, I thought was interesting. The way that Dr. Light was written afterwards by much less subtle yeah. or competent writers is a big problem. Yeah. But there was some really, really good stuff that came out of this. A big one that we sort of realized mm-hmm. is that this is what put Zatanna on the map. She was in the Justice League. But most of the time, if you thought about, like, we need a magic girl, Mm -hmm. Raven had a much higher profile.
2: Yeah, Yeah. by this point, yeah.
3: And then this is the story that really took Zatanna and sort of expanded her powers and said, here's how powerful she is.
2: I mean, certainly her profile has risen since Identity Crisis, and we'd argue because of Mm -hmm. the events of Identity Crisis.
3: I think that before this, Dr. Fate, was always ahead of True, her. true. And I think that now when most of the time you're like, well, mm-hmm. we need to call in the magical heavy hitters.
2: And sometimes if you call just at the right time, you get Constantine too answering the phone. But that's, yeah. a, that's we can argue whether that's a good legacy for anybody. He's
3: her plus one.
2: <laughs> sometimes plus one. Sometimes, sometimes minus, minus one, three or four. depends, yes.
3: She's been a major mm-hmm. front runner character. She's been in two seasons of Young Justice. Mm-hmm.
2: So it's a mixed bag, but again, what do you think on Legacy?
3: I would give it maybe a four because I actually think that fewer things spawn yes. from Identity Crisis than that's, people I think, think <laughs> spawn from Identity <laughs> Crisis. There were two, three, four really bad things that came out yep. as a direct result of Identity Crisis.
2: And we did point out, a couple of positive characters. And I think four is is, is a fair measurement of, of legacy.
3: Had Ralph been more involved mm. in the DC Universe, I'd probably give it a six.
1: Right.
3: On the other hand, I'm kind of glad it didn't, because mm-hmm. that would almost be more evidence for the case of fridging. Sue's death was just a tragedy. Mm-hmm. It did not... Magically motivate Ralph to become a major hitter. It didn't get him back into the hero game 24-7. It didn't change mm -hmm. his whole life. It was just a very big, important, sad, and terrible thing that happened to him once. And then at the end of the day, has to move on Mm -hmm. on his own. It's just sad.
2: I love you, Sue.
3: Oh, I've been crying about the last (laughs) panel of Identity Crisis for literally nine years at this point. Man, it's a powerful series.
2: Guys, thank you so much for inviting us on to be your semi-OCDs.
1: Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Emily. That was some very well-thought-out um, different points of view on this. Yeah, and, you thanks, know, guys. Very good point about Zatanna. Yeah, we hadn't focused on that. So uh, we have all the scores in. So uh, it's Matt's time, Mike. So um, so um I have yours. You've got a, a 4, a 7, an 8, and a 6, which I add up to. Actually, i just read it off the paper because I cheated before. It's 25. <laughs>
0: uh-huh, yes. And
1: I gave it a 4, a 7, a 10, and an 8, which uh, comes to twenty-nine. Mm -hmm. But uh, Alan and Emily gave it a 6, a 10, a 10, and a 4, which makes a nice round 30, which we halved to 15 because we're harsh like that. And so we add 29, 25, and 15 together, and we get, Mm -hmm. wow, the new score is 69, 69, ooh. Ooh.
0: uh, uh, That puts it right between uh, just under Final Night and just above Bruce Wayne Murderer Fugitive.
1: Well, that's a respectable place to be. Mm, yeah. yeah! Wow, it's, it's very cool. But you're saying to yourself, "Hey, I'd really like to see this the way you guys are visualizing it for you, for me." But uh, I want to visualize it with my eyes instead of my mind. Um, <laughs> you could go to WaitingForDoom.com where you can see the ladder in all its glory, and you can see all the scores for all the episodes we've done. And um, yeah, uh, what can you do with that, Mike?
0: Well for each entry in the in the ladder you can click on the link on the, on the title and actually get taken directly to that episode so you can listen to them all over again you can listen to them in rank order or release order oh you know that's fantastic yeah and you can start at the bottom with genesis if you really wanted to or start at the top with Joe Lay avengers <laughs> which might be a better idea <laughs> yeah, could probably is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah
1: anyway uh, let's dip into the mailbag cuz i believe we have some feedback woo so we got a email from tim price and he said uh it's about bruce wayne murderer question mark and fugitive definitive exclamation point um hi paul i must say i haven't read most of brain murgative as i dropped all of the batman titles by this point but one however i couldn't resist the 10 cent issue and i was definitely intrigued by the story just not enough to make the plunge as this was going to be costly as events are I also did buy the final issue to see the mystery resolved. And I was satisfied. (laughs) Sure, I missed the journey along the way and it sounds like there were some good stories in there. Maybe I'll get the trades on a sale. Yeah, probably not. Uh, So that... So what title was I getting? Batgirl. I loved the series. The story was compelling, the art was fluid and beautiful, and the writing was fascinating, all the more so since our protagonist hardly spoke, so it leaned heavily on visual storytelling, as it should. And there were so many interesting relationships with Cassandra, Barbara Gordon, David Cain, Lady Shiva, Robin, Tim Drake, hey, good name, and Batman, of course. Her tie-ins to Murgative were so well done. They were important to the story, but still could stand alone if you didn't buy the whole event. Cough <laughs> me. <laughs> yes, that means my big takeaway is, go read Batgirl. Uh, John and Maggie were great guests. As always, glad to hear my Memphis toadies, but I need to dig out my D20s. Man, those two are ready for anything. Thanks for another mm. fo- podcast from Tim. And that wasn't the only feedback we got. Yeah, we heard from Jeff, and he said, Just want to say that I've been enjoying the heck out of this cast, especially... The latest on the superlative JLA Avengers. And also to ask if you thought much about how you're going to handle the crossover freight train heading your way. Countdown. Four countdown minis, Sacrifice, Infinite Crisis, and 52. And World War 3, I guess, too. One jam-packed episode? Six or more? Three? And then countdown to Final Crisis. Amazon attacks. Final Crisis. The Legion of Three Worlds coming up behind. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see your approach to these linked events and year-long weeklies that's become the new norm for a while. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah, thanks for pointing that out.
1: Mm, Yes, (laughs) We, we, we did become aware. So our approach will be, we'll do a lead up to Infinite Crisis episode and then we'll do an Infinite Crisis episode. And then because the events start to space out a bit, even though they are sort of linked together, we'll cover some of the events like Amazon's attack and Salvation Run separately. And we're definitely going to do 52 with World War Three as, as one big episode A, Mike, aren't we?
0: Yes. So, yes.
1: yes. S- start your reading, buddy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, we do have some, some people lined up to help us out with this. So there's some great guests coming. So um, thanks, Jeff, for your interest and your concern for our well-being. And now, another piece of uh, feedback from. Oh, it's Tim Price back again. (laughs) Hello again, Tim. (laughs) So he said Greetings, Paul, Professor Zoom, and Dr. Hassan Pfeffer. Wow, I'm so happy that you covered JLA Avengers in DC O C D Cast. I've reread this series a lot and it's one of my all time favorites. I have no complaints about the scoring nail, and thought all the show's comments were accurate, even the negative ones. Quite an exemplary job when this book is so good that helps a lot. Music Impress were both following up from their fantastic partnership on Avengers, and this crossover continued that vibe. What was remarkable, but not surprising, was they managed to capture the characterizations and dynamics of Morrison's JLA. And like a certain candy bar mentioned by Zoom, they tasted great together. (laughs) But that wasn't enough for this story. They bring the same magic to every leaguer and Avenger, both present and past, and make it look easy. Without getting further bogged down, here's my lightning round of random things that I enjoy from the series. Uh, dot points. Okay, Quicksilver, being frustrated that Flash was so much faster than he, and enjoying himself when the tables turned. Squadron Supreme wannabes. That line alone forces me to reread after any Squadron Supreme appearances. Uh, Purple Arrow. Thor and Wonder Woman together in the merged timeline. I want to cross over with them. The heartbreaking reveal of the hero's history at the end of issue three. Uh, Wanda's reaction tears me up tears me up every time. Maybe it tears him up, I don't know. Um, <laughs> her lip-biting resolve to fight anyway is wonderfully depicted. Any scene with Hawkeye and Green Arrow together, preferably when also showing Black Canary and or Mockingbird. Superman and Captain America coming to blows. I seriously said to myself, oh no, the first time I read it. Stunned me back in the day. Followed by their salute at the end. Good thing I wasn't semi-OCD on this because my confidence is too long to score anything a 10. <laughs> uh, too much second guessing would happen. Where is the Wonder Woman Captain America crossover that I must have? Last, thanks for reminding me how difficult it is to find this event. I got it new back then and I forget that the publishing issues make it harder to get now. That's a huge shame because if the scores reflect it's the best. Two masters of comics working in the zone on the project of their careers. Wow, that took a while and I need to get watching some Doom Patrol, so I better go. Thanks again for this show, The Charming but Deceptive Tim Price 17.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tim.
1: Yes, you are Charming and deceptive. Mm. And we also got an iTunes review, which was centred around DC OCD. So uh, this was from Mike Z33, or Z33, depending if he's in our hemisphere. And he (laughs) said, awesome, with two exclamation marks, five stars. Uh, Just found this through the Fire and Water Network. Excellent quick encapsulations of DC events, the good and the bad. Thanks for that, Mike. Um, If you send us your address, Mike, uh, through one of the many channels that we will detail shortly, we will send you a Waiting for Doom postcard. So, Ooh. And the pile of them is getting short. So It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. After that, we'll just have to send people good wishes, but uh, we'll see.
0: All thoughts and prayers. All thought- <laughs> Thank you, Mike.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I think we've come to the end of it, haven't we, Mike? So We uh, have. What's up next time?
0: Next time on the feed, uh, it'll be Waiting for Doom, uh, looking at the 52 Aftermath with the Four Horsemen. Uh, getting closer to Volume 5 of the Doom Patrol. And then next time on DCO City, it will be War Games.
1: Oh, the big Batman one. Oh, mm. What a mess that is. Okay. <laughs> well, if you would like to comment on the show, head on over to WaitingForDoom.com. There's a whole uh, post where you can comment at the bottom. Very convenient. Um, yes. Or you can get in touch via the Twitter, which is at DCOCDcast, and uh, DCOCDcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. So, so many options now. And I think we're on Facebook or something, aren't we, Mike?
0: Yeah, yes, yes. There's a waiting for doing Facebook page, so yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and if you bump into us in the street, you can give us comments then too. But we won't remember them because we're busy. (laughs) Or you can give us money. (laughs) I'll remember that.
0: Yeah exactly
1: <laughs> find us in the street give us money yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good deal
0: yeah uh, okay that's it's getting weird though <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway um, yes now, now some outro music selected by Mike I'm sorry I'm so sorry you're
0: welcome everybody you're welcome <laughs>